0: Good evening everyone, welcome to our live broadcast Tonight we're looking at Guttara Nikaya, Book of Fours, Sutta 114 Tanaga Sutta This one goes with 113, which we did on Sunday Which dealt with a thoroughbred horse So we have four kinds of horses which are special, which are superior kinds of horses. Here we have four types of naga, but naga here means elephant, It's an odd word that it's used for many different things, but here it's actually referring to an elephant, which is one of the meanings of naga. Naga can also mean just man or, you know, it would mean, it means hero or something, special man, special hero, person, and um, it also means serpent, dragon, kind of, but here we have four types of elephant, naga elephant, bull elephant, I guess is the idea, that are worthy of a king. so there are many kinds of elephant just as there are many kinds of people but like elephants some people are not doing much with their lives they're not really of any benefit to themselves or others certainly not special and certainly not royal certainly not of a higher noble quality in in their demeanor or their attitude or their behavior But some people like some elephants are exceptional they have qualities that make them exceptional that make them noble that make them worthy of a king well no. in uh, in Dhamma terms that would mean worthy of the Buddha worthy of the Buddha's praise and appreciation. So let's talk about elephants first. These are this is a nice concise list, easy to remember words. Ida biku nago here monks, a king's elephant Hoti is what is this king's elephant? SOTA CHA, HANTA CHA, KANTA CHA, GANTA CHA Very brief, it sounds kind of short Well it is SOTA SOTA, HANTA, KANTA, and GANTA So what does that mean? SOTA means one who listens Uh, A listener kanta means a killer, kanta means a bearer, and ganta means a goer. So these four qualities of an elephant, these four characteristics of an exceptional elephant, Exceptional bull elephant. We're talking about the big hero, hero leader, alpha male elephant. I guess. Hearer, killer, bearer, goer. So how do you? What, what does this mean? Well, uh, our listeners. Sorry. The bull elephant listens. Means whatever the elephant trainer says and teaches it. It listens, and whether it's done it before or not, it listens and learns, and becomes proficient in it. So, so that's that's a listener. As for being a killer, an elephant. Well, the thing about these elephants is they'd use them in battle. We don't think of elephants as warriors, but indeed they were. F- they were a big part of the war machine in places like India. So when they enter into battle they would kill other elephants and elephant riders, horses, chariots, even infantry, and infantry they would kill kill everyone. And this is a kind of special elephant that's able to kill all the all of its enemies. It's a pleasant thought. A killer, a bearer, a well, special elephant, an exceptional elephant will be able to bear the blows from the enemy so it won't, it won't be afraid, it won't run away, it won't lose heart when it's struck by spears, swords, arrows and axes or when there's loud noise, fireworks, explosions, drums. So it endures, it endures and it bears with difficult, potentially fearsome situations, dangerous. And the fourth quality, a goer. What does it mean to be a goer? A goer means the elephant goes quickly, wherever it is sent, it travels quickly. Some elephants are very quick they can travel very fast and they have great stamina so they can travel long distances. So much for elephants. Those are four qualities that are important in an elephant. Likewise, there are four qualities that are important mm-hmm. in a bhikkhu, the one who is Practicing to become free from suffering. What are these four qualities? Well, a bhikkhu has to be sotacha, hantacha, hantacha, gantacha. They have to be all four of the same things. They have to be a listener, a killer, a bearer and a goer. So this is what's for us. It's for us to think about on our path to become exceptional, to rise above mediocrity. People think, well, what's wrong with being mediocre? Mediocre means it's not about comparing oneself to others, but it means being stuck in the middle of samsara, spinning around, up and down, some good, some bad, in this meaningless uh, and ultimately futile existence that doesn't ever satisfy us or bring us peace that is constantly threatening to upend us and, and drown us in the ocean of samsara. But it's possible to be, the point is, it's possible to be better, to be happier, to be at peace, to be invincible, to to, to go beyond the vicissitudes of life, to enter into a state that is, or to to become one, or to... Possess a mind that is incapable of falling into stress or suffering. So, how do we do this? What do we need? What does it mean? First, we need to be a listener. Well, a listener should be quite. That's quite straightforward. Yes, you have to listen. That's, and it means when, when you hear the teachings. That you actually listen, that you lend an ear, that you are attentive. This is one thing I find teaching at the university. Today we had a great crowd. We had, I think, ten new people come. But it was funny because there was, I didn't get a sense that they were all totally, that their attention spans were as one might wish, which is normal for a beginner meditator. But I get the feeling in these sessions that not all of them are going to come back. It's hard for them to keep their minds I think focused long enough to meditate. That's the sense I get at university in general is that it's not really the the great um, soil in which to grow a meditation community. Everyone's too fixed and focused on other things, too distracted by so many different things. We can't be like that. We have to listen, we have to heed, attend to, direct our whole mind to the teaching. We have to really want it, we have to appreciate it. Meditation is very very much a part of one's life. It can't just be a hobby or a pastime, it's not just a quick fix. You have to become a meditator. You have to say to yourself, this is who I want to be. I want to be training. I want to be a trainee. This is the Buddha called us as seka. I want to be someone who trains myself, who who, who improves myself. And so you have to listen. You have to listen to the Buddha's teaching when the Buddha teaches. When I teach, well, when I teach, you can just say hearing, hearing. But when you read the Buddha's teaching, when you listen to someone relating the Buddha's teaching, you have to listen carefully. The first one, the second one, one has to be a killer. Yes, the Buddha liked to use these sorts of words. Bhikkabodhi is a bit kinder, he says, a destroyer, one who destroys. But hanta really, I think, just means A killer. Hanati means to kill You could say destroy But killer What does he kill? bhikkhu kills Three things Kills sensual thoughts Kills uh, Thoughts of ill will And kills thoughts of harming I like to say oppression Because I'm not really clear the difference otherwise Oppressive thoughts So Thoughts bad thoughts, thoughts of greed, anger, and delusion, one dispels, terminates, and obliterates it. The point is that these are the things that take us away from the present moment, take us away from reality, and get us caught up in the tangled web of delusion, addiction, aversion hatred, oppression, arrogance, conceit, all these things come from uh, allowing and encouraging these thoughts to continue. And No, we don't allow them. When they arise, you strike them down with mindfulness. When you're angry, you would say angry, angry. Don't let it go any further. You want something, don't give it any quarter. Wanting, wanting. That's it. Liking, liking. Clinging, clinging. To kill them, kill the evil. These are the monsters. The true enemy. It's an interesting the the word for noble. Uh, in in Pali and Sanskrit is Arya. Arya. So we know this word from from uh, racist groups who believe that there's an Aryan race. I guess Pali is Arya and Sanskrit is Arya. Arya, I think. There's a missing I. Pali is Arya. Either way, it means, it's translated as noble, but it's an interesting word. It probably does originate from the idea of someone who conquers their en- enemies, because Ari means enemy. Ya means uh, gone, uh, I think, but or far. They translate it in Thai as far from one's enemies. I think that's the commentary definition or etymology. I don't know that that's correct, but Arya means one who has gone beyond their enemies. We use that the Buddha used that word. In the time of the Buddha it wasn't a bad you know, it wasn't something that was racist. Or maybe it was. I think the Aryans they did they did think of themselves, yeah, and it was racist, it was about colour. They 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 talked about the dark skinned demons in the Vedas. They had the Aryans who were light-skinned, and then the barbarians, no, the demons. They actually called them demons, and it was the dark-skinned indigenous peoples of India that they were conquering and destroying. I think actually I'm not. You know, that's that's one theory, I suppose. Um, but the Buddha was using the Buddha used this word Arya. And he said, well, one is an Arya because of their deeds, not because of the color of their skin Not because of their birth, their class And so he used Arya in a very different way And so in Buddhism this is what it means An Arya is one who kills, who has defeated, who has gone beyond their enemies The enemies of greed, anger and delusion That's so how one is a killer. How is one a bearer? Ah, you see how it relates? This should be easy to, to think of as well. A bearer means one, en- one endures cold and heat. One endures hunger and thirst, contact with flies, mosquitoes, wind, the burning sun, and serpents. Yes, you endure snake bites rude and offensive ways of speech you endure the slings and arrows of unjust fortune you bear up with arisen bodily feelings that are painful, racking, sharp, piercing harrowing, disagreeable, sapping one's fatality again Bhikkhu Bodhi uses this it's wonderful language really but I would just say takes away your life and, and I think I, I think he's wrong actually I think he's, he's he doesn't understand that the Buddha's act I, I would argue is saying that I have I to say Bhikkhu Bodhi is brilliant but my feeling is that what he's really saying here is it can kill you and pr- he probably talks about this because the ordinary translation is that could take your life away meaning is you bear with pain even if it's deadly Or maybe maybe it feels deadly. I don't know. But uh, no. But the point is, you you're go- you know, if, there's, if pain comes in, it's going to kill you, if you suffer an injury that's going to kill you, it's very important that you bear it and don't react to it. Because when you react to it, you, you die in a, in a bad way. Your death will not be one of peace and clarity. The one of fear and distress. So meditators know a lot about enduring, no? Bearing. You have to bear with these things. Bear with physical discomfort. Had a meditator today, there was a mosquito in our meditation room at McMaster. And uh, he was asking about this. He said, what do you do? And he said he tried to kill it. And so I was saying, you feel much better when you don't try to kill it. This release—there's a great release when you learn to be patient, learn to bear, rather than to react, rather than to destroy. And instead, destroy your defilement. In fact, enduring things might be considered to be a very much. A, a the cornerstone of the practice. There's something called anulomika kanti, which means uh, patience, that is that goes with the grain. Patience that goes with the grain. Anulomika anu means with, loma is actually the grain of wood. So wood has uh, a grain to it, and if you cut it with the grain, it splits and splits in half. We used to split wood when I was a kid living in the forest, we had to cut split wood all day long. Um, some days. And you can only cut it one, day, one way of course, if you take the axe the other way, you don't get anywhere. So we call going with the grain, that's what this means. And uh, in Buddhism that means going with the grain of reality. You have. You have an end of enlightenment. So when you, f- when you start to get in line with reality and you're no longer at odds with reality in terms of, oh, I wish it was like this or I wish it wasn't like this. Your wishes, your, your expectations, your, your whole psyche is, is no longer out of line with simply the way things are. So as things are, you're content. With the way things are. And, and patience is what brings this. When you finally have patience so that even unpleasant, terribly unpleasant experiences no longer bother you. And likewise when pleasant, incredibly pleasant experiences no longer entice you. This is called going with the grain. You're, you're now with reality. It is what it is. You no longer want it to be something different or want want it not to change want it to change and just content as it is and finally we have a goer how is a monk how is a bhikkhu a goer well likewise a bhikkhu goes places bhikkhu goes places bhikkhu is someone who is going places one place in particular, they go to the place where they've they've never been before. It's very hard to go to a place where you've never been before, because we've been born so many times that odds are we've been pretty much everywhere. But there's one place we've never been before. There's one place that until you practice insight meditation, you've never been there before. Even if you practiced insight meditation, you may not have been there yet. When you get there, you, when you get there, you know. This is uh, nibbana. A bhikkhu who goes to nibbana. This is an extraordinary person. This is a noble person. This is a person worthy of praise, fit for the king, fit for the Buddha's praise. the stilling of all activities, the relinquishment of all ac- acquisitions, the destruction of cra- craving, dispassion, cessation, Nibbāna. That is how one is a goer. We're not just practicing this just to relieve stress, we're practicing this to destroy stress, to completely obliterate it, to get to become invincible, to attain the state that is beyond suffering suffering is that suffering can't reach this is the noble elephant these are the four qualities so that's the Dhamma for tonight keeping in mind these four qualities you have to listen you have to uh, work to kill, to fight, fight your enemies, you have to bear with the things that get in your way, and you have to go, go all the way, go the distance, don't stop until you've attained your goal, Nibbana. Okay, how are we doing? I assume we've got questions, because last night I wasn't answering questions.
1: We have questions. Can you hear me okay, Monte? I can hear you okay. Um, This is my question. Monte? my workplace is offering free flu shots. Is taking a flu shot another way of trying to avoid pain and discomfort and therefore something I should pass on? Or is it a sensible way to increase my odds of staying healthy and being able to practice? Thank you.
0: Good question. I, I would suppose it's a good thing It's also kind of your civic duty at this point because other people rely on you to take it, right? If we don't all take it, then more of us, you know, there's more sickness going around, I think. I don't really know. There's, I guess, a little bit of controversy about it. but. But right, is it trying to avoid pain? You have to ask yourself, what does it mean to get a flu? You know, if getting a flu cripples you, for me, it would cripple me and I wouldn't be able to study. so there's no way I could really study uh, if I, when I get the flu. so probably a good idea to get the flu shot. Um, so there are practical reasons. If you're just a meditator living off in the forest, I wouldn't really see the point. You could argue for it, but uh, and and the Buddha wasn't against the taking of medicine but i would I would sort of take an sort of an educated opinion that uh, I, I don't think going off to the extent of getting needles is really appropriate. You know vaccines p- potentially like if there was a dengue vaccine, that would be great because then I could live in Sri Lanka. well there's all the other deadly stuff in Sri Lanka, but um Yeah, I, wouldn't, I, 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 would, I would think, even for a Buddhist, you're more concerned with things like being able to do your work. Um, meditation doesn't really rely on, on, on not getting the flu, because it's a great experience to get the flu. So in terms of meditation, it's a great opportunity to test yourself, potentially.
1: Thank you, Bhante. Thank you for your insights. I've been following your channel and your videos and everything seems to be very helpful. So thanks You're welcome. For, my, for my question. When doing walking meditation, after a while of sighting left, right, etc., I get in kind of a trance, which seems to be very similar to staring. I'm still aware of everything I think, but something is a bit off, like I'm stuck on some kind of a loop, but the feeling is very calming, relaxing, and I think rewarding. Is this what it means to be in a meditative state? It also happens in sitting meditation, but much less often.
0: No, that's not useful to you. Um, it sounds like you you might be doing some kind of automatic walking. Like, it shouldn't just be left-right, it should be step being right, and then you stop, and then step being left. So there's actually a break. Anytime you get into a rhythm, or, or moving both feet at once, you know, if you're doing that, which you may, you may not be, but suppose you are, that might get you into kind of a trance. Hopefully if you're doing it one step at a time, you're less likely to get in a trance. That being said, once you get into a kind of a trance and you feel calm, or you feel like some kind of fixed state, then you have to note that. When you're calm, you have to say calm, calm. And if you feel some kind of fixedness, you might say feeling, feeling, or maybe knowing, knowing. It's not really rewarding, it's actually kind of useless. Sorry, there's no reward. You don't get a medal for that. Um, Yeah
1: According to your booklet when doing sitting meditation one should first be mindful on breaths and then the other for dhammas as in the mental state emotions, etc. So isn't that not exactly letting go and waiting for something natural to occur? which is my problem when doing sitting meditation, which is I can't seem to get deeper. What should I do? Actually do step by step of observing each of the dhammas or wait for something to happen, observe, and go back to observe breathing? I'm pretty lost here.
0: I don't know what you mean by going deeper except because you had that last question. I'm assuming it has something to do with feeling these states of peace and calm, which isn't really the point. Um, I mean the frustration that you sounds like you might be feeling is very much the point of the meditation you you, you can't but be frustrated by your attempts to try to control and uh, it sounds like you're clinging actually you want to go deeper and you can't and that you have a problem. The idea that you have a problem in the first place is really the problem <laughs> yeah. The idea is to let go of that, to just experience things as, it are, as they are. It sounds like you might need a little more patience. And, uh, you know, it, we're not first mindfulness of the breath, it's just the stomach is just an object that you can watch when there's nothing else going on, something to always come back to. It's sort of like an anchor, because otherwise you're just running around and you don't know whether you're actually being mindful or you're chasing things always try to come back to the stomach just to keep you grounded but uh, I mean sounds like you might have some unresolved desires and, and expectations about meditation which are a cause for suffering and what kind of expectation is that's what we're trying to find in meditation we're trying to see what it's funny you know people come to meditation and think well you know when am I going to get the, what I want? That's the point, this wanting. You, know? you want something even out of meditation, and the whole idea is to give up wanting. So you have to sit there until you stop wanting, until you stop wanting to progress. And then you've really progressed.
1: That's basically the point. Joke, jokes are useless. However, they can make people help people get through some difficult times. So my question <laughs> is, is joke? Joking around a wrong speech. Thank you very much. Well, I
0: don't have a definitive answer on that, but let's just say if speech is helpful, true, and timely. Let's not even worry about timely, but if it's helpful, if the intention is for it to be helpful, and it's true, then you could say that it's right speech. But if you just say something just for the sake of saying it, or even for the sake of just making someone uh, laugh. But it's not really right speech. You say it can help people get through difficult times, kind of, but it's kind of just like drugs can help people get through diff- or alcohol can help people get through difficult times. It's not really a wholesome way of dealing with your problems. That's really the point.
1: At first, I believed I was becoming less reactive to my teacher's laughter of me. But today, I have been fairly disturbed by it. Do you think I have been meditating incorrectly? As well, which approach for handling this situation is best? Filing a school complaint or using wikasama?
0: I thought maybe you were talking about me. I'm not really laughing at you, am I? I laugh sometimes. I like to think we're laughing with rather with than at. But uh, you're not talking about me, so I'm safe, for now. Fairly disturbed by it. No, I mean, meditation is about seeing how disturbed you get, and it's about seeing how much suffering that causes you. Don't, Don't expect much of yourself that you're going to be able to suddenly not get disturbed by things. The beginning stage is to learn that you are getting disturbed by things, and to see how much you get disturbed by things, and to really get a sense of how messed up you are that's really the first first part of the practice you can only begin to cure your problems once you realize you have them so don't ever try and pretend that you don't or even feel discouraged when you see that you do you can see it as, as, a, as a, you know, a part of the process is the seeing vipassana means to see clearly when you see your problems clearly that's really all you have to do See that being disturbed, see it clearly, say to yourself, disturbed or disliking or sad or angry or whatever. And eventually you'll give it up because you'll start to see it's not useful to do that. Filing a school complaint? Well, I mean, no. Not unless it's affecting your grades, I wouldn't wouldn't worry about it unless it's affecting your grades. If it is affecting your grades, then yeah, that's what school complaints are for. Think about it. You know, you could argue that it's a part of proper worldly etiquette to file a complaint if someone is really out of line. But you have to ask yourself: Are they really out of line, or are they just, you know, kind of dumb and kind of rude? Like if if a, if a if a teacher starts sexually touching a student, or if a teacher makes racist comments. I um, mean, that kind of thing. You might argue it's important to bring to the attention to the faculty for everyone's benefit. It's hurting others and it's, it's hurting the teacher as well. It's causing them to do things that they shouldn't. It's, it's real suffering for them. So part of, your, part of your practice should be to think of this teacher compassionately and, and think of what you can do to ease their suffering and, and stop them from doing evil things.
1: Bhante, if I am meditating outside and it becomes uncomfortably hot, is there any significance in noting ha, hot rather than aversion, aversion, or vice versa? Or is it purely a matter of choice?
0: It's more a matter of what is clear to you because they're, they're, they're not going to happen at the same time even though it seems like it. They're going back and forth. So once you get quick enough, you're able to see one at a time. And when you feel one, you note that one. So basically, whichever one is clearest to you, you wouldn't overthink it. You know, if you feel them both well, pick one, it doesn't really matter. Over time you'll start to see them distinctly and you know, you'll pick whichever one is distinct at that moment.
1: Pandey, can I have someone pinch my arm so I can note pain, pain, or does meditation only apply to the reality which I'm not designing?
0: I'm impressed that you guys can still surprise me with questions after all these years. No, I've, he- I've heard that one before, actually. But uh, I don't think I've answered it on the internet yet. Um, yeah, so this, this argument, can you manufacture feelings? Manufacture experiences. So, the, so, yes, you can. That That part is fine. But the problem is in the manufacturing. You are... it's actually probably innocuous it's probably not that big of a deal but you don't you want to be very careful in terms of um, what's the word um, manufacturing experiences because it's no longer natural there's a you know there's a potential you could argue that putting yourself in a position where you feel pain could be useful But no, 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 there's a problem with it, definitely, because you're, you're creating this perverse mind of, co- of, of causing yourself pain. You know. there's, it's mild, but there is something there. I mean, this is the whole problem with self-mortification, this idea that there's some benefit to it. You have to be very careful about causing yourself pain because it creates a perverse mind state. It's not natural. I would, be, I would be careful about that kind of idea
1: When I say lying, lying I kind of tend to enter a calm and blissful state Thus I am not sure if I am more, if I am more so cultivating tranquility Through the aforementioned mantra What do you think? As well, I have some difficulty locating the rising and falling of the stomach, and sometimes I don't feel any different after completing a session with the rising and falling, and feel I may somehow be meditating incorrectly. Thus, should I just say lying, lying?
0: You have a lot of thoughts. This is a problem. You have to not think so, not overthink things so much. Is this this, is this that? If you feel calm, you'll say calm, calm. If you're lying, you'll say lying, lying. I think you think too much.
1: It doesn't make sense for me to worry about my entertainment consumption if I'm only able to do 10 to 40 minutes of daily sitting meditation. I believe I should only begin regulating my entertainment once I'm able to meditate for multiple hours a day. Wouldn't you agree? As well, while my practice in the aforementioned stage of 10 to 40 minutes of daily meditation with unrestrained entertainment, will I still see progress?
0: Again, with progress. Don't worry so much about progress. Um, You know, because every moment that you're mindful, you change something about yourself. Think of it more like that. And... The, the the point is yourself is is a very very complex entity it's full of all sorts of contradictory and con- complicated and, you know, there's, there's so much to who you are that you're not, you're not you're not like a car traveling up a hill you can see oh look I've gotten higher you're just changing some good some bad so um, every moment that you're mindful is a good thing Every moment you spend indulging in entertainment is a bad thing. So, but they're not going. It's not like it's going to you know, somehow cancel out. It's just going to change you in two different ways at once. Well, not at once, but you know, back and forth. They will, to some extent, cancel each other out. But they will also turn you into a new person. Um, yeah, there's no way to quantify how much benefit you're going to get because it's all about the moments if you're listening to music and you're mindful hearing, hearing then it's actually a very good thing of course it doesn't make you want to listen to music but uh, it's very much a benefit but okay as far as worrying yeah I wouldn't worry too much about it if you're only doing 10 to 40 minutes but uh, um, is, is there much benefit to just doing 10 to 40 minutes a day well there's not much benefit to it There is benefit, and it's much better than not doing any meditation, but you might want to up it a little bit, and you might want to reduce your entertainment consumption. Both of those would be good for your practice. if If you're just constantly finding entertainment, it's going to get in the way of your practice, definitely.
1: sometimes I can't feel my stomach rising or falling at all but only my torso can I meditate on the rising and falling of my torso or perhaps is what I mistake for the rising and falling of my torso actually the rising and falling of my stomach when I'm meditating I perceive the top half of my body rising and falling which may encompass my abdomen but I don't feel my stomach itself rising and falling well you can
0: put your hand on your stomach it's a sign that you're probably quite tense It you know, something to do with all that thinking you do um, sorry, I don't, now I am kind of laughing at you I'm sorry, I don't, I'm just being kind of teasing, I suppose um, try and go to the stomach because you'll find once you do relax you'll, uh, it, that's where it will be don't be stubborn it will come and it is there put your hand on your stomach and you'll find it
1: when talking to girls in daily life it's very easy to get caught up in desire and end up joking around what is the most effective way to deal with women besides avoiding them thank you
0: those darn women huh what do you think Robin what should, what should he do to deal with women
1: You would say be mindful.
0: Yep. I would.
1: How can a deaf person use the noting technique? That's a very good question. Um, I've had a deaf person, actually,
0: we talked about this, and we had them imagine signs, use sign language in the mind. There is a sense of the sign, I mean, I'm, I'm not really clear on it myself, but... Um, and th- so for so those of you who aren't clear on this, as a person who is, say, b- uh, born deaf and doesn't communicate with words, they communicate with, with signs, right? Um, and you can actually use sign language as a means of communicating. So in your mind, you would use the sign for whatever it was.
1: I am experiencing doubt, anxiety, and aversion. I doubt my meditation practice. I fear I'm not becoming less reactive to my teacher's laughter. Am I averse to my meditation practice? After hearing what you said about entertainment regulation, I became stressed and gradually more averse to my practice. How can I overcome these hindrances?
0: Maybe you won't. I can't guarantee this for you. It's completely up to you. I have nothing to offer you but what I've, what you've already taken. It's up to you to put it to use. I would imagine, you know, it's maybe one thing I could offer is don't, don't, don't maybe stress so much about it and don't take it so hard or so seriously. You'll find that there's a natural part of a be- being a beginner meditator is to you know, really freak out about the fact that you're not a very good meditator. And and, you know, over time you'll find that just changes. It's not such a big deal, you're not a failure, it's not useless, it's just, you know, you ever play golf? you ever tried to play golf? Anyone who's ever tried to play golf, it's one of the most frustrating sports. You can't hit that little <laughs> ball, when you do hit it, it flies in very much the wrong direction. Any kind of sport is generally like that in the beginning. you just have to pull yourself together don't get consumed by doubts it's too easy to doubt things
1: my in breaths generally take about six seconds and my out breaths take 10 to 12 seconds so I repeat rising about three to four times and fall and falling four times each breath each time noting a different sensation in the rising and falling is this okay
0: I wouldn't recommend it. I would wonder if you're actually trying to deepen the breath somehow. Is it possible that it's that, it's that uh, long, but uh, six seconds? No, it doesn't seem natural to me. Maybe it is for some people, but could be also that you're doing some kind of yoga breathing which we don't want to get into. Don't take such deep breaths I would say, you know, let it just be a natural short breath. Um, But if it is long, you can say it several times, um, but you could also just say it really slowly. See? Not so comfortable saying it many times. Sometimes you'll do it when it's when it's in stages. When you feel the different stages of the breath, so it'll be rising, rising, rising. Sometimes it'll go like that. Okay, it's not wrong. If you want to do it, you want know, to say rising, rising, rising. It's actually not wrong. will go ahead.
1: Hello, Bhante. In your tradition, do you put emphasis on attaining siddha asana, in other words, being able to remain in full lotus for hours without any discomfort, numbness, etc.? Some Buddhism masters, in other words, swan who, emphasize the ability as a prerequisite to reach deeper levels of consciousness.
0: Have you read my booklet on how to meditate? Uh, well, okay. um. I'd, I'd recommend reading my booklet and you get a sense of my, what my tradition is. But no, we don't train to remain in full lotus for hours. It's funny, I have there's this kid at McMaster who's been asking me these things. You're not him, are you? No, I don't think so. Uh, but um, it's not really beneficial at all. There's no point to that. Not in our tradition. And we're not trying to reach deep levels of consciousness. We're just trying to understand consciousness, deep or shallow.
1: Buddhism doesn't believe in a soul such as Hinduism does. Hinduism says the soul is eternal. Buddhists believe in eternal Buddhists believe in eternal life, everlasting existence.
0: No, uh, well, eternal life is you know, in, uh, uh, metaphorically in terms of Nibbāna being everlasting life, but that's not really true, um, you know, unless you believe that Nibbāna is, is, is could be called eternal existence or eternal life, but in the sense that you're thinking of it, absolutely not, it's, it's nothing like an exter- internal existence or life.
1: Can one soul split into two and incarnate the two separate bodies? If so, how do those two souls merge together again after death?
0: No, and I don't have to answer.
1: Bhante, in Mahasi Sayadaw's book, Practice of Insight Meditation, he states that a mental note does not have to be a mantra or a verbal word. Is mental noting without using a verbal word or thinking of mental noting as a word still going still going according to vipassana practice? Didn't we talk about this already? I thought I talked with you about this.
0: That, that that line isn't supposed to be in that book. It's, a, it's an interpretation by the English translator. I'm pretty sure that Mahasi Sayadaw didn't actually ever say that. I thought I talked to you about this. But yeah, it's an but interesting point. To, no, I'm talking like Jason, we've actually talked about this. Oh. Um, but uh, it's an interesting point that that book has I'm pretty clear because I, I looked that specific passage up thinking this is not like anything else he said elsewhere and I looked at the Thai translation and the Thai translation doesn't have that sentence in it and then you read the introduction to practical insight meditation and it says it was an interpretation by an English woman an English person, British person or no, American person I think Oh, those <laughs> Americans yeah, if, how could you trust it when you know, you know that?
1: Hello, Monte. If buying an old Thai Buddha amulet from a shop, does it still work? Thank you.
0: Hmm. Work for what? It's a paperweight? What are amulets not, you're you're supposed you're, to do? You're not really I asking me, is, does it protect you from evil spirits? Is that really what you're asking me? suppose it might be. Sorry, I don't, I don't deal in such things. That's, that's really considered superstition in Buddhism. We don't really have a... Whether it's true or not, it's not something we deal in. So... Which might shock you, because in Thailand they very much deal in that. But Ajahn Thong, it's it's kind of... I'm happy to see that he doesn't subscribe to that stuff. It's not even that we don't believe that, it, that it's true, that it's possible. Just not Buddhism.
1: How can I increase my intelligence and memory? I've seen some children do certain meditations and they can memorize whole books.
0: Um, well I would think mindfulness meditation will help with it but it's not really our goal. it's not the sort of meditation I teach.
1: Is there much difference in practicing meditation at different times of the day? Is there such a thing as too much meditation for a beginner?
0: There will be differences, but that's good. It's good to practice at different times, in different ways, in different places. So, yes, different, but that's just to be expected, right? You're, you're a different person at different times of the day. Too much meditation? Not too much meditation, but too much meditation, which means If you're actually meditating, like if your moments are clear, then there's no such thing as too much. But for a beginner, they're not really meditating most of the time, so they're just spending most of their time getting stressed until they figure out how to do it. It's like, take this beginner golfer who spends all their day attacking the ball and not hitting it. Well, you can actually hurt yourself if you do it too much. You have to sort of wait until you get better at it, and then start practicing more so, you know, practically speaking, yes, a beginner should not do too much. They should slowly work into it until they get better at it. If they do too much, they might go crazy, they might... Because um, they're practicing all wrong, is the point. But that's not to say, you know, just mm. practice a very, very little. It just means practice a moderate amount. And you'll feel that that increases over time, you can do more. Don't don't try and do as much as you possibly can because you're probably not doing it entirely correctly as a beginner.
1: I was meditating a couple of years ago and I saw a black shadowy figure appearing about a meter from me when I slightly opened my eyes and it looked like I knew I was able to see it. Is this real or is it a consciousness manifesting itself in reality displaying my fears? I did research on what I saw, and I learned that some people called these things lower vibrational entities. What is it, if you know, and is it real or not?
0: Well, it's seeing. It's called rupa. Rupa means something that you see. And you see it. So when you say seeing, you That's a satisfying answer, I hope.
1: If I practiced enough meditation, would I be able to jump through the air? Hmm. 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 Yeah. Maybe we'll skip that one. Yeah. And might, yeah.
0: Might yeah. flag that user and potentially. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. Not we're not that kind of site. Sorry. No. And on that note thanks everyone for your interesting questions. I hope I wasn't too critical of them in general. I wish you all having a good have a good practice or at least have a good night. Thank you Robin for your help Good night Thank you
1: Pante. Good night.